Hi, welcome to People. With the current level of ambient cataclysm threatening to define the American experience, it strikes me that the urgency of processing and discussing current events is eclipsed by the need to build, perhaps from scratch, communities which produce better events. If you're like me, you've long placed this responsibility on the shoulders of your imagined superiors, the enlightened ones who we imagine create the societies we're doomed to inhabit. Our guest in this episode, through his work, teachings, and intentional lifestyle, proves that this intuition is bullshit. Dan Barrett is a musician, entrepreneur, and life coach of sorts, whose musical projects include Have a Nice Life, Giles Corey, Blackwing, and several others we encourage you to check out. He's also the founder and CEO of AdWords Nerds, an online marketing agency for real estate investors. And more recently, he's begun the No Less Than Project, which is, in his own words, a community of creative people who prioritize empathy, rational thinking, and trying to have as clear a worldview as possible. Stemming from this is his email list, Better Questions, which distills complex systems thinking into actionable insights which can empower the individual to improve his or her own life and the quality of the communities in which we find ourselves. This has been the most inspiring and instructive episode I've been a part of so far, and I hope you feel the same way. Here's our conversation with Dan Barrett. All right, cool. So, yeah, I mean, we just wanted to have a super open-ended conversation. Like, I know there are millions of different, you know, music podcasts, so we didn't want to just talk about music, but we wanted to talk more about approach, like more of the theme of this blog that you have on No Less Than and stuff. So, yeah, that sound sure. good? It sounds, uh, sounds great. Yeah, cool. Like, so the first thing I just wanted to do is, like, for anybody who turns out to not be familiar with you once we release this, I mean, you, you have several bands like, you know, Have a Nice Life, Giles Corey. You got uh, this No Less Than and you have um, the AdWords nerds. Like, how do you split your time between those three these days? Uh, yes. How do I split my time between those things? Um, yeah, it's it, so it's an interesting question. So if you had asked me, let's say last year, um, about 90% of my time is going to be spent on AdWords Nerds, which is like my day job, right? That's, that's an agency I started about eight or nine years ago now. Um, started with just me kind of freelancing uh, while I was um, doing my student teaching. Was, the plan was I was going to be a high school history teacher. And so I was student teaching. And while I was you know, doing that and doing grad school and all that, um, I was freelancing on the side just to make some extra money. And uh, pretty quickly, the freelancing thing, I realized I was making more doing that than I was going to make, you know, three or four years into being a full kind of, you know, being in a full teaching gig. And so I just decided I was going to jump to doing that full time and, uh, you know, did that. And around the time that my first son, you know, my wife got pregnant with our, our first kid, um, I started to take it really seriously, right? Which is, I think it's pretty common. People who've been through that kind of experience, you, you know, clearly you're like, well, I'm going to have a bunch of hospital bills and then I'm going to have a baby. And I, now I gotta, I gotta make enough money to actually be secure. Whereas before, like, I just didn't need much money. Like I was never a particularly big, you know, spender in any way. So, um, you know, really started taking the business seriously and digging into that. And so today, you know, fast forward, we're a team of nine. Um, and that's where I was spending most of my time. 
and you know, the, in terms of bands, you know, I had been sort of, um, my whole life, you know, more or less my whole adult life, I should say, the way I've treated music is, is as a hobby. So I, I record at home. Um, you know, my Tim who's my primary, my primary kind of, um, musical partner, uh, you know, he would come down on weekends, you know, when he had a chance, he was living up in Massachusetts. I live in Connecticut. And so he would come down and we would hang out for a Saturday and, and record and mess around. And then, you know, he would go back home and that's kind of how it was. And so um, we just kind of kept that up. Um, it certainly got less frequent uh, when I started having kids, but um, you know, that's kind of, that was basically the rhythm, right? I'm, I'm mostly doing work. Um, you know, I'm working on music when I can. And that's been pretty much the pattern up until the beginning of this year. So January of, you know, 2020, which is when we're recording this, or, or I should, 2020 is when we're recording this. But in January of this year, you know, I sat down and I was really trying to think about what I wanted to be doing with my life in general. Um, you know, my musical projects have been way more successful than they have any right to be. Um, the business is doing pretty well. Um, and, you know, not to say that we're, you know, I'm a multimillionaire or anything, but I certainly was making more money than I ever expected. I never expected to make any money, period, right? Like I thought I was going to be a teacher. I was, um, that's kind of like my mindset. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm really secure financially. Um, you know, I have a nice house. We, you know, we moved to a nice town so the, the kids can go to school here. Mm -hmm. Those kind of big things are, are pretty, are, are okay right now. So I, you know, I really trying to rethink about what I wanted to do. And around then is when I started this project, this no less than project, which for me is about, I'm, I'm trying to fuse two very separate parts of my life, which is the musical and creative part of my life, which is, you know, I have a certain aesthetic I care about, a certain type of personal expression that I care about, a certain work um, work ethic, and a certain ethic of what I think is appropriate in terms of how I work and how the band interacts with, you know, other parts of the music industry and yada, yada, yada. And then I had this business part of my life that was incredibly kind of self learning driven that was very systems oriented and is very used to just this mindset of hey like i didn't go to business school i don't really know what's going to work but what i do know is how to experiment and test things and see what works and then run with that and i, I for forever ever since i've been doing these things they have been completely separate right like no one i ever work with knows i'm in music and for the longest time like no one in music knows knew what I did for work and most people mm -hmm. don't still don't right mm -hmm. and I was just really tired of keeping everything separate right like I just I was tired of my Twitter sort of being different from my Facebook being different from my LinkedIn and having to parse kind of what I said where and I just said you know I'm going to spend you know let's say 30 percent of my time on this project which is about bringing together these two things like I wanted to bring the tools that have helped me at work and the tools that have helped me make a living income and the tools that have helped me free up an extensive amount of my time. I want to bring those tools from the business world 
to the creative world because for me, um, I really care about people's records and their art and creative thinking. And those things, those things to me are deep ethical issues. Like that's what I care about in life. And all the time I, I see people who are incredibly good people, incredibly empathetic people, incredibly creative people that struggle to actually take that and make it into a thing in the world, like struggle to externalize it and put it out. Um, and I was like, I don't even know, I don't know what the point of all that is. I don't know where it's going. I don't know if it's a business or a hobby or whatever, but it was something I felt really strongly about. So, you know, kind of keeping true to the methodology, I was like, let's just do it and see if anybody cares and see if I enjoy it. And so this year has kind of been um, very exploratory for me. It's, it's just about you know, what is there and is there something important that I can say? Can I say something original about it? Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of been the split. So, you know, I'm still working in my primary business. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully going to release a record this year um, with my Blackwing project. But, you know, I kind of added this third piece to that, which is this no less than project. And um, I've been finding it really fulfilling. So that was a really long answer. But that's the answer. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it answers two questions. You know, what are you up to and who are you? So that's actually super helpful. And it actually kind of drives us to a theme that I wanted to bounce off of you, which is, um, you know, people think of creative careers as focused on your artistic output, as mm -hmm. opposed to maybe a creative orchestration of different, you know, elements of, uh, income or elements of feedback from the public elements of how, how do I interface with the world? And I feel like that's kind of an original idea. At least it was to me when I discovered it, I think in, I think the first time I heard of that idea was in this book, early retirement extreme by mm. uh, Fisker. I don't, I don't necessarily advocate early retirement per se, mm -hmm. but the way that he talks about creative orchestration of, um, different projects that you're working on. So I think it's cool that people who follow you have you as a model of how to do that, as well as you directly advising them as to, you know, how to get their ideas, their literal creative ideas out. So I think that there's this like multi-leveled nested creativity going on, mm -hmm. which I don't think a lot of millennials, particularly who I, I think millennials are, have a particular empathy and creative proclivity that mm -hmm. maybe could be tapped more if more people like you were, you know, followed and celebrated and considered, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's, you know, for me, you know, I'm in, I'm turned 40 this year. And so I think I'm just at a point in my life where I want to try to have an impact beyond myself. Right. And obviously like having kids as a part of that, it sort of trains you to start thinking that way. But, you know, when, when you say that to yourself, like, I want to have an impact and I, I want to impact the world somehow, you have to then decide like, well, okay, well, what do I value and what counts as an impact and what, what you know, what counts as a, something good versus something bad. And, and for me, um, I really believe in the power of uh, creative people. Like, to me, like artistic expression, which you know, you, you can broaden to even saying like, you know, certain types of scientific work are creative and certain types of entrepreneurial things are creative. It, it's a, it's a really 
broad skill set that I think defines a lot of what humanity does that's good. And I see everywhere, everywhere I look, and I, I see this partially it's because of what I do, right? Because I'm in the marketing world as, as right. my day job, right? And it's, I think of like all the intellectual power and effort and sweat that goes into trying to get someone to click a pixel on a screen, right? Like that's what it boils down to. It's like Facebook is a machine to get you to click some pixels over other pixels. And there are all these incredible people that spend all this time trying to engineer that over and over. And for me, all I really want is for people to have, you know, not necessarily do it, but just have the choice to say, I'm going to take back my labor. I'm going to free up my time so that I don't have to work all the freaking time. And I'm going to use that extra room, that cognitive load that I'm is no longer going to some other person or some other company. And I'm going to do it to create something that is useful or beautiful or meaningful. And to me, that's, that's a, that's a, like a, that's a deep ethical mission. I, re I really feel strongly about, I felt strongly about it in my own life forever. And um, yeah, I mean, I think people today have more of an opportunity to do that than they have ever had. It has never been easier to do that, but there's a lot of reasons why people don't. And I don't think it's because people are lazy or they don't know how or yada, yada. I think there's, there's a lot of barriers to that in our kind of culture. And, you know, as much as possible, I just want to say there's something else that people could be doing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I take your point. I think there's the, the generations below me, which I think I'm, I think technically I'm like the last generation X or something like yeah. that. The, uh, I mean, I'm not the last one, but I was born in sure, the last sure. year. Yeah. Yeah. We're all, they're yeah. all dead. I'm the only yeah. remaining one. You're, you're the last one. You could do a, do a yes, program exactly. about you, right? Yeah, but you know, I, I think it's like the generations below me, I think they, they naturally adopt a lot of those ideas. There's, there's a mm. lot of excess creativity. I mean, you kind of alluded to that. And I, I, I just want people to direct that where they want to direct it with the minimum right amount of interference. So yeah, hopefully it, it's been, um, it's been a really interesting process so far. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. It, now, Dan, you know, obviously you've, you've fostered a sense of creativity and, in, in, you know, all of, especially these past, you know, as you said, eight years, 10 years, I mean, but even going back before that, you mentioned though, you know, things kind of changing when you, you started having a family. Uh, my wife and I are expecting our first kid in September. And I was kind of wondering what, what uh, I mean, not, not necessarily advice, but what, what's the impact of kind of your career or your creative trajectory been upon, you know, your family life? Um, yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, specifically, I think the thing that was really different um, or the thing that, for example, working for myself did for me that I, I don't think would have been possible otherwise was I, I, you know, from the very beginning, I have been obsessed with having control over my own schedule. Like I am very lazy. I yeah. do not like working. I'm, I'm the classic sort of the kid who's bright, but doesn't want to work on anything that they're not interested in. And so kind of perpetually underperforms their potential, yeah, right, right? Like right, that's, right. that's been my, that's been my jam pretty much ever since the beginning. And so what that meant was 
I was constantly, even when it was only me saying, how do I get myself out of this? How do I, how do I, sure. how do I get the money for doing this job without actually having to do the job? Right. Sure. And not saying like, I'm going to rip this person off, but how can I um, automate some of this process? How can I make the system simpler? How can I make the process mm -hmm. faster? Right. And so when my wife, um, you know, had our first son, you know, this is like something that like not a lot of people necessarily talk about, or at least I, I wasn't super familiar with. It's like when you, you, you know, you understand, like, I think as, as a, a man that mm -hmm. giving birth is painful and difficult, right? It's like, we get it. I get it. I saw it in a movie. It's fine. Right. But yeah. there's a lot of the recovery time, depending on how the pregnant, the, the actual birth goes can be a really long time. And so for, you know, my wife had a, a relatively, um, you know, like, you know, like a physically damaging sort mm -hmm. of birth. And so she had to spend a lot of time recovering and she couldn't lift our son for the longest time. And so I immediately, I, w I basically was home all the time. I was working yeah. sometimes at night. I was only working a couple of days a week and I was still able to provide everything that I needed to provide. So that was, that was the big one. Right. And I kept that for probably the first two or three years mm -hmm. of my son's life where I was just home a lot, like home all the time. And then the other thing I think is, you know, um, I don't know if this has had an effect necessarily, um, but it's something that I feel very strongly about that, you know, part of the thing, part of the things I want for my sons, if I think about like what I want them to see in me and what I want them to, because kids internalize what you do, right? They internalize yeah, so their environment, right? It's not what you say. So, for me, I'm like, it is deeply important to me that my kids know I care about music, that I have an artistic outlet, that I am creative in my work, that I am the one that dictates the rules of what I do. Because for me, it, it is the process of them seeing me make that decision, like them seeing me say like, hey, tonight I'm not going to put you down. Your, my, your mom's going to put you down because... I'm going to go to the studio and I'm going to work on music tonight. Right. And like just having them know that I do that X number of times a month or mm -hmm. having them know that it's like, Hey, like I've got to go in because I've worked or the flip side of it. Like, Hey, I'm going to take today off just cause I want to spend time with you. Like yeah. those having them know for a fact where my priorities are and what I think is important in my life is very important to me. So you know, I, my wife and I always said this, we want them to see us as individuals, right? And part of that is letting them know that like, hey, we have interests outside of just making sure that you get to 18 years old, right? We have interests in life, things that we care about, things that are important. My wife mm -hmm. is very much involved in, in social justice and activism, sure. right? It's like, that's critical to me. And so I think it's, it's really helped me do that as well. I think that's, hopefully that'll be an impact, although it's, it's hard to say now. Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like one of the things that me as a as a single man, uh, to my chagrin, not really, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I joke. No chagrin is required. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've observed a couple themes based on what you just said. On the one hand, um, you know, you need, I, I think that in order to be a good friend, a good partner, a good family member, and probably a good parent, um, you have to you know, look after yourself and pursue, I guess I had this really old professor once who said, uh, uh, old in the wise sense, he said, you know, 
scratch your itch in life. And that takes me to like, you know, Mr. Rogers would talk about how he would have, you know, Yo-Yo Ma on the show. And he would say, don't teach these kids anything. Don't, you know, don't try to intellectualize it because the kids pick up on the attitude of what you're doing and that's what they need to learn. So I always think, you know, if God forbid one day, you know, I, I had a child, it would be very important to do exactly as you just said, which is, you know, follow my, I guess, internal compass and be true to that because mm -hmm. there's nothing more damaging to a child, I think, than to see it, a parent who's kind of broken by compromise mm. again and again. Yeah, I think we're we're always expressing we're always expressing our priorities, right? In where we spend our time. And it, it's a it's a balance for sure, right? You're always gonna F it up. You know, it's always gonna it's always gonna get screwed up. Um, but it's what you do about that fact that really makes a difference, I think. So yeah, I totally take your point. I think that's pretty accurate. And totally like as it relates to work, you kind of motivated the whole um, like point on having a family and how that shifts mm -hmm. your, your trajectory. Um, just the importance of being unapologetically yourself. I'll yeah. just say that entering, a, a relatively rigid workforce, um, from being kind of an unprofessional guy, I, you know, I like to play music. I like to have mm -hmm. complete liberty. And, and I think that a lot of our listeners probably relate to what you said about having control over your schedule and control over your output. Like right. how important is it to you to be just completely free to express yourself? Do you find at, at AdWords nerds, do you feel like you have to tamp down your individual way of expressing yourself? And like one particular thing that I wanna bring up because I don't think it's brought up a lot and I think yeah. it might be a little controversial is the um, like work relationship versus personal relationships. That mm -hmm. was something that really jarred me. Like I'm the, I'm the type of guy I like to be able to go to the, you know, the ice cream shop in the neighborhood and treat the owner or the clerk or whoever it is like, this is a potential friend. I just want to, I don't have the bandwidth to segment people in my head. And I feel like sure. there's a lot of mental space being spent in the office or, you know, wherever you are. Uh, where you have to segment people and put them in buckets. And it seems like wasteful energy to me. So right. I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to be honest, man. It's been so long since I've had to do that. I can't remember what it's like. And that's on nice. right? Yeah. So yeah, I, I completely, I think w the thing you are pointing to, right? And you might not use this word, but, but I, I'll use this as a descriptor, right? Is politics. It's the understanding that people serve or can serve a utilitarian purpose to you in your career. Mm -hmm. And you have to nourish that and, and you have to take care of it because if you want to be able to exploit it later, you need to be on a certain, you know, amount of, you know, a certain amount of good, you know, terms with them or whatever. Um, I literally never do that. So I, I've been very, very lucky in that everyone that I hired um, at AdWords Nerds, every single one of them are incredible. They're all um, extremely honest people. Um, they're people that I, I really do not need to manage. They're people that care about what they do. And almost all of them I just hired 
from within like my social circle. Like I would literally just go on Facebook and say like, does anybody know anybody that needs a job? And right. I hired people that were non-technical. So I didn't hire people that knew what I did beforehand. Mm -hmm. I just taught them. And um, because of that, I think what I ended up doing was hiring people that were like me in many ways, right? And there's always, so in, in all honesty, I probably blur the lines too much between personal relationship and business relationship. There, there yeah. are certainly times where I should have let someone go and I didn't, right? Yeah. Or there are times when, um, like there's probably still the case that I, I pay significantly more than most people in my industry. Um, and I think a lot of that is because I just like everyone that works for me so much and I don't want them to go anywhere, right? So, you know, sometimes you can make what you might argue would be an irrational business decision that way. But for me, the flip side is I don't filter myself at all uh, people give me nonstop crap at work and that's exactly how it should be. Um, I feel very free to express myself. And, you know, there's always things where, you know, I, if I have to give work feedback to somebody and I know them to a certain level, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take extra special care to say it in a way that I think is constructive and I think takes their feelings into account and things like that. But I think I would do that anywhere. So yeah, to me, it's, it's, I always wanted to work in a certain kind of place as a certain kind of culture. And when you start your own thing, you just can make that. You just make it, right? You just hire people that fit that culture. And um, in some ways that slowed me down a lot. But again, like my goal is not, my goal is not maximize revenue, right? That's never been the goal. Um, I already make like it's, mm -hmm. at this point, like I make less than some people who theoretically work for me because I'm fine. So I don't, it, it, right. to me, what I'm doing is I'm maximizing quality of life, both my quality of life and the quality of life for everyone that works for me, because I don't want to have to hire anyone else. So I don't want them to go anywhere. So I'm like, I'm just going to make sure. this the best job that you've ever had. Right. And so that creates a certain environment where that stuff just isn't, isn't a factor. And, um, yeah, I, I'm just, I just have no interest in it. I I'm, I'm a profoundly bad employee. Um, but I'm really good at employing other people because, uh, you know, I just try to treat people exactly the way that I would be treated for some people. That's amazing for other people. That's not a great fit. And that's totally fine. Right. Some people really like the structure of the corporate environment, right? They like the fact that the the sort of win condition is relatively objective. Right. They like the fact that there's hierarchy. Like a lot yeah. of people function really well there. I just don't, mm -hmm. right? So I tend to hire people that are like that. Sure. Now, one one thing I, I mean, kind of kind of jumping off that and, and the workforce, you know, one one thing that we've seen, especially in the past ten years, and, and particularly within the tech industry. Um, we've seen kind of offices that try and go a holistic route. So you'll have, you know, Google, they'll have slides and beer and, you know, mindfulness practices that people do together. But it seems though that they're still trying to bring about a sense of utilitarian purpose, you know, like we're, we're going to be mindful here so we can be most productive there. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's kind of become a trend in offices, these new office spaces, these shared spaces, et cetera, et cetera. 
So I'm like, is there ever, you know, like, do you, do you ever have to find yourself kind of checking your, your, uh, your motivations? I mean, obviously you went, you went, uh, you, you spoke at, at length there on, on who you are as an employer and, and what mm. you hope to see uh, with those that you employ. But, you know, you kind of touched on personal relationships. And I'm wondering, you know, as an employer, uh, how do you strike the balance from, you know, of, of productivity versus, you know, kind of keeping yourself in check with relationships, uh, keeping everything kind of in balance? Yeah, I mean, I would say I manage other people's productivity just about zero, right? Just about zero. I mean, the way that we operate is if someone has a problem, they can bring it to me. Um, and it, but if anything, the trend is people don't want to bring me problems, right? So um, sometimes I got to go looking for it a little bit. Um, but, you know, one of our core rules, right? And this, this is the thing that I, I tell pretty much everybody when they come to work for me is, you know, if you can get your job, if you can get the things done that you need to get done faster rather than slower, usually what happens at a job is you then get more work, right? Here, it's just like, cool, see you later. Yeah. Because I, I you know, again, because the goal, the goal is not to constantly maximize revenue. Right, right. And so the goal is like, I just talked to everybody and I'm like, what do you need to make? Cool, here's what I need to make. Cool. So here's how many clients we need. Cool. Let's do it. Right. And, you know, so it's just very different. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that that's the best way to manage a team. I'm not a great manager by any means. I'm way too hands off. Um, and it's very possible, right? Like that creates problems that don't need to be there. Um, and one of the things I like about business per se is the fact that you, you are constantly learning and it's just, you are, you are never done. And I like that, right? I, I like that it's, it's kind of this constant quest for growth and, and to kind of understand people and processes a little bit better. Um, but, you know, you're, you're sort of getting into this, this kind of productivity idea. You know, Google's a good example or like any of you know, the classic sort of stereotypical startup with the foosball tables and the, the, right. you, know, the, the you know, it's like what that is, is, and I, I wrote an email about this, right? Like I have an email mm -hmm. list and I, I wrote an email about this where, where I said, I, I, I said like excess productivity always goes to the boss, by which I mean, right, the, the whole point of you, for example, being more mindful and getting more done and yada, yada. So you have more capacity to do more stuff. You don't get the benefit yeah, of you being more efficient. And for me, it's, it needs to be exactly the opposite, right? Like for me, Everything that I, you know, because I, you know, I have some like some clients that I take on for one-on-one -on -one coaching, right? And it's very dependent on what they want to do. And there's kind of not like a, a ton of structure to it mm -hmm. deliberately, but almost everybody has some kind of time management issue, right? They want to do X and they don't feel like they have enough time or they haven't been able to get themselves to work on it or whatever. And so for me, every single I, I, what I want to do is I want to take the tools of efficiency and productivity that have been known forever, right? That come from manufacturing and come from process improvement and like all these things. And I just want to take it and I want to install it in people's lives because what I want to do is I want people to have eight extra hours at the end of the week so that they can, they can write the great American novel or they can go yeah. hang out with their kids. Right. Sure. It, it's like, 
you can shovel it right back into the business, but no one ends up benefiting, right? And so to me, again, this is kind of like when you, you turn your focus away from revenue as the primary metric and you say, what is the quality of life? right? What's the quality of life for everyone that works for me? What's the quality of life of the clients that we take on? Like what, you know, again, it's another way of trying to measure impact. You then treat it very differently and you grow the business very differently. And, you know, I'm the first to admit there is a ton of survivorship bias in business. There's a ton of luck. I mean, I, you know, I've only ever built the one business really. I don't even know if it would ever work again, right? Try to be as clear about that as possible. But Mm -hmm. If I was going to start another business today, or for example, when I, when I started no less than it's like not technically a business really, but you know, started this thing and, and, and have started this kind of coaching practice for me, it's, it's, I've treated the exact same way. I just don't do stuff that doesn't make people's lives feel better. And that kind of limits those options in such a way or actually makes decision-making really easy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting point. I think that, you know, you walk in someplace and you see a foosball table. It's like, oh, I'd rather just play foosball with my kids. You know what I mean? I don't have to play foosball right. at the office necessarily. So, you know, yeah, I think it's, um, there's a dark side to a lot of that stuff. Definitely. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, well, just kind of pulling on that thread, you know, especially the, what, what you talked about with, for one, being hands-off and also quality, kind of just touching on your music output. Um, yeah. You know, especially your the first record with Have a Nice Life uh, kind of blew up. Um, and seemingly, at least from, from my research, it blew up not from you promoting it or, you know, Tim doing this and that, or you guys playing a lot of shows or touring. It just kind of gathered a following because people appreciated uh, the art. And it seems that's been kind of the case with, I mean, that, that maybe set the ground for other musical projects that you've been involved with and other records of Have a Nice Life, but it seems like you you guys were both relatively hands-off. You know, I had read somewhere in an old interview that you recorded uh, the, the first track on that record in like a bathtub, or maybe it was Tim, but nevertheless, like this kind of hands-off approach, just making something you're proud of. Could you kind of speak towards that in, you know, your musical output? Yeah, I mean, that's that's been the ethos. That's been kind of the defining ethos, right, of that, that you know, that band and then the, the uh, Enemies List, which is the label we sort of put together to release mm-hmm. the, the sort of connected projects to that band. Um, the idea was always, we're just going to do a thing. We, ha- we weren't playing shows at all, right? So we didn't, we, we really didn't play at all. Um, we didn't, we weren't connected to a scene in any sense. Um, and I remember just thinking like, oh, we're sort of making this sort of like throwback you know, sort of new wave influenced stuff. No one's going to like this. I mean, meanwhile, there are like all these bands that were like popular <laughs> that had those themes, right. but we just, I just didn't know about anything, right? So we, it was purely just what we were into. And in terms of promotion, yeah, in the beginning I was, you know, this is sort of pre-Spotify and all that stuff. In fact, it was pre-iTunes. And so, you know, I was, we had a MySpace page and I was, commenting on other people's MySpace pages. And I was uh, mailing CDRs to a couple blogs that were on, you know, like Blogspot and LiveJournal and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But that was pretty much it. And I think um, beyond a couple mentions early on, most of the growth 
of the Have a Nice Life, you know, as a band and the connected musical projects is all organic, right? It's, it's always, mm-hmm. it's always resonated with a certain type of person and that type of person, however you want to define it, tends to share it. And so literally it was like today, um, I was on Instagram or whatever and someone tagged me in a, in a post and I went to go look at it and it was somebody else saying, wow, I just found this Have a Nice Life record from 2008 mm. and wow, I love it and it's so awesome. And they're, you know, they're posting about it and, and spreading the word. And to me, it's like, I'm like, that album came out, it's like 12 years ago now. It's right. over a decade, right? So the, the we're in this really weird ecosystem where where it's very easy to get recommended things mm-hmm. and so people kind of keep stumbling on it and so it's gotten kind of a second life that way which has been sure. yeah really gratifying and so you know we went from i don't think i think we played one show for the first 10 years that the band was in <laughs> existence and then you know we played shows last year and we got to sell out a bunch of places because it was yeah. all people knew us from the internet Right. So that, that's, that's been pretty, pretty awesome. And it really taught me um, in a very visceral way. There's like a Kevin Kelly article where he talks about a thousand true fans, right? Like, it's like, all you need is a thousand true fans. I will buy everything you put out and that's Mm -hmm. enough to support you. And I think it, it, as a principle is very true. The, the more kind of niche it feels and the more kind of specific you think the audience is, in many ways, the easier it is for it, for it to spread and sort of keep its, um, you know, keep relevant. And uh, yeah, that's been very gratifying. Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I always get in trouble uh, for making a sweeping claim about technology, but it's, it's like mm-hmm. that old quote, like, if I don't exaggerate, no one will listen. And like, right. uh, you know, I think a lot about signal to noise because I don't know, we probably, we came up like before, you know, streaming. Uh, but so now I'm able to kind of observe Spotify and what I'm wondering is, you know, obviously you work in search engine optimization, you're aware of that, this signal to noise problem. Do you ever feel like at this stage of the game, there is so much output in these streaming services Mm. that it just creates this big landscape, a lot of which is interesting and good, but like, how does each individual node be heard and, and. Uh, and I know that that's what you're trying to do. Do do you feel like music becomes like hyper blended in this way where it's like, we have all of this information floating around in space. And then the music kind of mimics a bunch of different influences and it becomes almost anonymous in its myriad influences. So that's. Yeah, I I think that's, I think that's very true. Like in my own life, right. the, the, The right now, the most I'll listen to music or the time where I, I listen to the most music, I should say, is like, okay, if I, if I really want to work and I need to focus on something, you know, I'll put on some noise canceling headphones and I'll put on, it's got to be something without vocals. Otherwise I find it too distracting. So I'll put on like kind of like eighties retro synth wave kind of stuff. Right. And so Spotify knows that and they're like, cool, here's a million songs like that one. Right. And I'm like, sweet, threw them all in a playlist. And that's my kind of go-to work playlist. But I can't tell you a single band on that. I probably listen to it. 
I probably listen to that playlist more times than anything else in my musical library at this point. Cause I, again, I listen to it for work and um, I couldn't tell you a single song title on it. I couldn't tell you a single band on it. Right. It's, it's just anonymous, right? It's background noise. Now, the thing is not everybody listens to music that way. Right. And in fact, part of the reason I think that, that our musical projects have been so successful is like, if you look at the people who post about our music, it's almost always like, it's a picture of their, like, um, their like turntable setup, right? right? They've got a little frame for the record cover they can put, you know, and it's like, and you can tell that they are sitting and listening to the music. And uh, my friend Tim is exactly like that. He will literally sit in front of a, you know, a tape player, a record player, or whatever, and stare at it while it plays, right? Yeah. And he will just, that's all he's doing. And so in, to a certain extent, you know, our community is kind of those people. And to those people, that, that kind of homogenization of, of music is less of a big deal. I mean, to get to your other point of signal to noise, I think that's definitely true. I think there's so much music, you know, that's a plus and a minus, right? It's, it's so easy to produce music so you can get something out, but you also have to figure out, you know, what makes you stand out. And this is why for me, um, it, it, and this is specifically if you, if you want to, if you want to spread your art, and you want to, you know, for example, try to make a living off of it, right? I don't think this is critical if you're just producing music for yourself. Um, and I don't do a ton of this anymore because, again, music's not how I make my money. It's, it's purely self, you know, expression. So I, it's mm -hmm. almost like I, I want people to like it, but I kind of don't care if they do anymore, right? It'll probably hurt my feelings, but it, it's, not, it's not why I'm doing it. So this is less important to me, but... For example, if you were going to tell me, Dan, you have to make your living, you have to feed your kids with your music right now, right? The very first thing I would think about before I think about the record I'm going to put out or what platform it's on or anything like that, the very first thing I will think about is community building. Because mm -hmm. what people want more than anything today is a community that they feel truly connected to. It is the thing in, um, you know, like American culture, particularly that has completely disintegrated. Well, it's like, if you look at my grandfather's generation, you know, he's in the Elks club. He's in, he's getting like the local bowling alley. He's mm -hmm. got a social group that's tied to his community. That's not in his house. He doesn't have a phone, right? He doesn't have the internet. He goes out and has deep social connections with people. Mm -hmm. And we just, it, you know, just speaking for myself, I just don't have that right in real life. Like I just don't, I have my friends from high school that I, that I, I love and I, I try to see every month, but like, I don't have like my local PTO that I go like slam brewskis with at the local right. pool hall, right? It just doesn't sure. happen. And so for me, you know, the thing that's made Have a Nice Life and Giles Corey and Blackwing and mm -hmm. um, Consumer and like the, and the Flowers of St. Francis and, and America Audio and, um, you know, Afterlives and Planning for Burial and like all these sort of home recording projects mm -hmm. that we sort of all came up at the same time the thing that's made us have longevity is that there's a community around us. And we didn't do that consciously, but for example, now with no less than 
right? When I started that, I was like, I don't have a product. I don't have a service. I don't know who it's for. I don't know who's going to like this. But the, the goal from the ex, explicit goal from the very beginning was I'm going to create a community of people that I want to hear from like people that I want to be in my social media feed, people that are going to make really cool things, people that, you know, that prioritize, um, you know, empathy and rational thinking and trying to have as clear view in the world as possible. And that's, that's my only goal. It's like, if I can create a community like that, that's an end in and of itself. And I'm sure if I want to make money from it, I can figure out how to do that in a sustainable and helpful way. And if, if I was going to do music, it's the exact same thing. You can't just to, to, you know, use your words, you can't just be another node in the network and you can't just be an anonymous track in Spotify. Like that's a great way for people to find you, but they need a place to go and connect with you. And they need it. They need to know that it's something more than just a bunch of notes. And not everybody wants to do that. I totally understand that, right? And I'm not saying that's fair or even like the best way to promote music, but today I think that's the most effective way to do it. Yeah, um, beautiful, man. I mean, I, I think that, that this is like a really touchy topic and few people speak eloquently and originally about it. And like definitely given this, the big loss of our time, if we want to say it, yeah, it's, right. it's, it's sure. community. And the fact that, you know, we're of a generation, regardless of how we got here. Uh, I mean, I'll just, I'll lump us all together because we're, you know, uh, sentient adults speaking right now. Like we're having mm -hmm. to incrementally rebuild these communities on our own terms. And that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you on the podcast, Dan, because I knew that that's, you know, something that you're doing. And I guess we're at the end of our time, but is there, is there anything else you want to, you want to say to, to top this off? Yeah, I, for me, um, yeah. So I, I've been thinking a lot about, or I've been feeling really, really alienated from kind of American culture in general. I mean, I think there's, there's so much good that's happening in, in, around us. And then at the same time, it's very easy to feel like the, the sort of centrifugal force of that right on the opposite side is so powerful and that sort of extreme divide I, I find so alienating. And so for me, this whole thing, like with no less than and, and with better questions, which is my email and, you know, stuff I've been putting on Twitter. And to me, it is, it, it, it's a, it, I'm trying to put in practice the kind of dialogue thinking that I want to see, right? And this, this has been, you know, my ethics since the very beginning. It's like, I want a record that sounds a certain way and it doesn't exist, so I'm going to make it. I want something to be a certain way and it's not that way, so I'm going to build the thing, right? And I just think that, you know, if, if people are out there and they're feeling like, you know, you want to do the thing, but you're just struggling to do it or, you know, you don't feel like, you really have a place out there or you just feel like this, this whole world of, you know, like politics and everything is so extreme and it's so intense and it's largely negative. The goal or the answer to that is like, just go and build the better thing. And I promise that you can do it. And I promise that like people will show up. If you build a better thing, people show up. It may not be right away. It may not be as many people as you want, but they will show up. And I just think, man, the world needs that stuff so much. And uh, I just, 
you know, if anybody is waiting for permission, I can't give you permission, but just pretend that I can and go and do the thing because I really want to see it. So yeah, if I had to leave anybody with that, it would be that message. Well, well, Dan, we, we thank you for that. Um, that's kind of what we're hoping to foster foster with the podcast. And I'm, I'm sure our listeners will, if they're not familiar with you already, we'll, we'll certainly, uh, certainly follow up on, on that. Thank you for speaking with us. We appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I, it was a lot of fun to be here. If you got something out of this episode, please check out Dan's work at nolessthan.com and consider subscribing to his weekly newsletter at betterquestionsemail.com. And if you haven't checked out the musical projects he's been a part of, I'd recommend you start off with Have a Nice Life, one of my own favorite bands. And it would mean the world to us if you'd rate, review, or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And we hope you'll stay in the loop and recommend future guests through Twitter at PeoplePod2. We are also launching a new website, peoplepod.org, which will provide deeper context on prior podcasts, information on guests and topics we've covered, and a tab where you can donate to the podcast. We finance the podcast through small donations from our listeners, so we're grateful for every penny you send our way. With that, I hope you have a great day or night, and we hope you'll join us next time on People.